And so we love this thought, more time with more truth. Sometimes we just make this little statement, and I don't think it's enough to help a person really understand the, the truth. But sometimes I think it's just time. Just like that seed has to go into the ground, it's got everything it needs to be able to grow, but it needs time. And when we try to hurry up that time, it doesn't do any favors to the seed. Welcome to the Scripture and Plain Reason Podcast. An engaging podcast where we affirm the authority and the clarity of Scripture. My name is Ryan. And my name is Brian. We'd like to welcome you to this episode of the Scripture and Plain Reason podcast. We're excited today to have in studio uh, Jeff Musgrave. Jeff and Anna Musgrave founded a church, planted a church in Colorado about 40 years ago. And over the last 13 years, they've been an itinerant ministry teaching the exchange, which is a program or a ministry, a presentation of the gospel. Um, they've been at our church, at East Brandywine Baptist Church, now twice. And so we're delighted to have Jeff in studio today, and we're looking forward to interviewing him. So Jeff, welcome to the program. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. You bet. I wanted to start with just giving you the opportunity for our listeners to get to know you a little bit. So Jeff, could you tell us about yourself and also tell us how you came to the place where you developed or were burdened to develop the exchange presentation of the gospel? I was saved as a very young person. Uh, I usually don't even tell people my age because it doesn't seem to identify with people. But you you just never know how decisions as a young person are going to impact you as you grow. But the Lord kind of gripped my heart early. At the age of 12, I sensed God calling me into ministry. Uh, At the age of 15, I went away to a boarding school and attended the last two years of high school in a Christian boarding school. And so um, at an early age, I really aimed myself at the the, uh, ministry, specifically gospel ministry. God is just always in high school, in that boarding facility. uh, I had a man invite me to go do street witnessing with him. And I'd never done anything like that and uh, just started a ministry of of learning the gospel. I'll never forget someone pushed back once when I was talking to them and said, you know, there is the Bible never mentions a, 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 a lake of fire, a, an eternal destiny for the lost. And, and I, I had no Bible answer for him. And, and I, I just said to myself, that's, that's not going to happen to me again. <laughs> and so, uh, just learning how to uh, effectively tell people the truth of what the Bible says. Uh, at the ripe old age of 26, uh, my wife and I started a church in Denver, Colorado. And, um, we, we're on the south side of town. It was a fairly affluent area, middle management kind of people, most of the people fairly highly educated. And we just learned that the higher the uh, secular education, sometimes the more gospel ignorant. And and I, I like the word gospel ignorant as opposed to gospel hardened. Uh, gospel hardened almost impugns the power of the gospel. Gospel ignorant really helps me see they they just need more truth. And so it was during those uh, uh, years of pastoring. We pastored that church for 26 years, never intended 
to go anywhere else. That was a life ministry. I kind of still see it as that was my life's ministry. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is kind of tag on. We've been doing this for 13 years now. But during that time, I would meet people who were genuinely interested, but not ready to make a credible decision for the Lord. And I recognized I needed something to be able to to engage them more. Mm-hmm. And and I I just kind of um, thought, and I tried, you know, do, so I do it, just go and witness to them again, say it again. And uh, the idea of of having a four lesson Bible study. Uh, just began to uh, be attractive to me, something that I could sit down and engage them in the conversation over a period of time. The Bible study is uh, powerful. We've seen a lot of people saved doing the exchange Bible study, but I think the most powerful thing about it is that it just sets a platform in which we can talk about the gospel four different times. And uh, it gives people a chance to be able to get their questions answered. And we've just seen uh, um, lives transformed by people just having enough time to be able to go through it. In the process of doing so, we saw people saved. And then came the need to help those people grow in the Lord. And we developed what we called a circle of ministry. The idea is that it's not enough to see people saved. We need to see them saved and discipled and then trained to lead other people to Christ and complete that circle. And uh, so began to develop more materials specifically for our local church. All of this was born out of local church ministry for local church ministry. And as God used it, and blessed it. I have stories of multiple peoples that not only were saved, but then discipled. We have uh, two of those people during those years that are now board members of the exchange, oh, heavily wow. involved in the ministry. That's cool. And as we sense God's blessing, really began to get a passion for laborers, that, that we what we need is more people who have a heart for seeing the lost reach with the gospel, seeing them train so that they can become laborers. And that's where the exchange started. Would it be fair to say that it sounds like to me you got to a point where there was somewhat of a frustration about, okay, I've shared the gospel with Joe Blow or whoever before, and where do I go now? If they rejected it, if they were saved, how do I go forward? Is that fair to say that there was a point where um, the four-week Bible study developed because you're kind of like, okay, once you've given the gospel to this person, where do I go next? It is. And sometimes I wonder if some of our uh, shallow decisions come from our methodology. We, we, have a, we have a tendency to think, I give this gospel, and then a person's supposed to choose or, or refuse. And so as a result, what we find is that there's a certain kind of person who tends to respond. Maybe they're a little more impressionable. And I find that your thinkers, <laughs> they, they need a little more time to be able to deal with this. So I have a friend named Carlton who he and I did the Bible study. When we started the Bible study, he, he was an, an atheist. I mean, I actually think, and I told him, he was probably more of an agnostic. It just didn't know if he could know. Uh, but... Uh, the the fact is that he had enough time and saw enough of the scripture. The Bible says faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. So as the scripture impacts people, uh, then the Holy Spirit has opportunity to work in that heart. Kind of like the picture of the soul farmer in Mark 4, 
where the soul farmer plants the seed and then he watches it. And it's clear that the Holy Spirit is the one who's doing and giving that growth. And uh, it says that he immediately puts in his sickle and reaps the harvest when it's full. So the idea is that he's engaged the whole time. And that's that's what the Bible study did. kind of gave us the ability to stay engaged with this person as they went through the process of figuring it out. That's really helpful context, Jeff. And I'll share with our listeners. I, I took the class, uh, I guess it was back in 2021 when we first did it at EBBC. And I'll reiterate, it's a fantastic platform for us to be able to start sharing the gospel more and letting God do the work of, of saving. Uh, so really grateful for that. And before I get into my next question, Jeff, I did want to just call this out, Brian, you know, there are not many words that I would adapt in my own language that you say, but this one that I just heard you mention is one that I want to start using Colorado, <laughs> Colorado. <laughs> I love it. I'm starting to use Colorado from now on. That's great. All right. So sorry about that, Jeff. You know, there is this argument out there that not all Christians are compelled to share the gospel and that the Great Commission, let's say, for example, was designed specifically for the apostles. So I'd love to hear how you would answer against that argument, because clearly we are all expected to share the gospel and as part of the Great Commission. So how would you answer someone that is sharing that argument that not everyone is compelled for that? Yeah. Actually, I think it's a fair argument. The, the command is clear. The question is the intention. Is it, did God intend that for those specific people, or is this a perpetual command? So basically what we have to do is we have to find Jesus' intention. In the great high priestly prayer that Jesus prayed in John 17, as he's praying, he says, Father, I want you to sanctify them in truth, for your word is truth. I think all of us get that. that mm -hmm. That's for today. And then he goes on, he says, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And then he goes on and says what that looks like. He said, I consecrate myself. Literally, I am giving myself wholly, clearly the cross was just a few moments later, and that they also may be sanctified in the truth. And then he goes on and says... I do not ask for these only, but for those who will believe in me through their word. And so in the context of sending them, he says, this is perpetual. I'm, I'm praying right now. And I love the great high priestly prayer because he prays for himself. Then he prays for the specific disciples. And then he prays for us hmm. in that same prayer. So I, I feel like the intention is fairly clear from that passage. Sure. Have, having said that, all of us know that God introduces truth about the church age in the gospel books, and then he reiterates those uh, in the letters, in the epistles. And so what we want to do then is say, okay, is that is that commission in the epistles? That's really the question mark. And as you look at 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter uh, two through seven is kind of one of my favorite passages. Paul kind of opens his heart and lets us see the inside, what really motivates him. And in Second Corinthians chapter two and verse five, uh, Paul uses that phrase. We all know it. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, everything has become new. And then he says, "We have this ministry of reconciliation. All." 
This is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave to us the ministry of reconciliation. So there's that that job. Mm -hmm. We have this ministry of seeing people reconciled to God. He goes on and says the message of reconciliation is the tool that we use. And then he gives us a picture of what that reconciliation life looks like. He said, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. And I think this is really key. It is God, the Holy Spirit, that woos and wins but he chooses to do that work through us. So mm. God is the one making the appeal. He does it through our mouths. And then he goes on, he says, we implore you on behalf of Christ. So here we are, Christ's representatives in the world, and we are imploring the world, be reconciled to God. Literally, come back to God. God made you to have a relationship with him. And I just want to plead with you, come back to God. That's where you're going to find the real soul satisfaction of life. So I think it's evident from the Word of God. This is for all of us. And uh, clearly, God gave a special gift to those apostles. And yet he is still equipping and helping us today to be able to do that work. That's really helpful. That was helpful, Jeff, and I'm, I'm also thinking of that passage in Acts 8. I know that's a history book, our only history book in the New Testament, but in Acts 8 it talks about all those that were scattered abroad, except for the apostles, were going about everywhere um, preaching the word, spreading the gospel. So I appreciate what you said about the gospels give us kind of what's going to happen in seed form but then we're able to see kind of that intention in the book of Acts. So how did the those that were gathered for that great commission, besides the apostles, how did they interpret it? And it seems that they interpreted it as everywhere we go, we're supposed to be preaching the gospel. And after Pentecost, you're seeing these churches planted, like in Crete and other places, and you're not able to actually tag an apostle with that church planting so it must mean that those early disciples took that great commission as something for them too. Absolutely, absolutely. And in fact, it, typically our the way we determine what is to be taken out of the gospels is to see it in the book of Acts and then see it taught in the in the epistles. So yes, you see all of it right there in the word of God. Hey, I want to also ask you, I know this is something you deal with quite extensively in the um, teaching of the exchange, as I've experienced it now twice, we talk about what are the biggest inhibitors, biggest challenges, reasons why we don't share the gospel. And I think some of those are more individually suited. Um, all of us have our various challenges. But I was interested for our listeners to hear from you. You travel all over the country, literally the world, in sharing the exchange. What are some of the main reasons that you see almost every week that you teach the exchange that people give for why they don't share the gospel regularly? Yeah. Well, if I could answer that in kind of two ways. One is, this is just Jeff's opinion, and then the answers that we typically get. Because we do ask that question every single week. Uh, Dale Tackett in The Truth Project made this statement, do you really believe what you believe is really real. And then he goes on and says, because if Christians really believed that what they believe was really real, Christians would change the world. And I think that sometimes we uh, kind of compartmentalize our theology. 
And we, we forget that there's a world that doesn't know Jesus and that he's called us to be his ambassadors to tell them. I think, I think that sometimes we just kind of forget the truth. Uh, so what does that? Well, in Mark, he gives us some things that keep us from fruitfulness as a Christian, and he calls it the cares of this world. So we, we get all kinds of problems. I, I don't know about you guys, but I sure have a few of them. Uh, uh, the deceitfulness of riches. And I do think that American Christians have a harder time with this than I have friends in the Philippines who are much better at just living a lifestyle of evangelism and discipleship. And then the desire for other things, just literally filling our lives up. We're so busy. Mm-hmm. Having said that, here are some of the answers that people give. You know, uh, I, I'm afraid of rejection. And I do believe that the Bible teaches us that th- the majority of people are going to walk away from God. Few are going to enter that narrow gate. And we have to be prepared for that. I love Paul's uh, approach to that. He said, I have become all things to all men that I might by all means save some. And so he recognized that the, the probability is the majority would refuse, but some would receive, and he was focused on those. I think a lot of people make this statement, I'm afraid I'm going to do it wrong. And and I really believe that underneath of that is just a basic need for us as pastors to equip our people, to help them to be able to know you have the basic tools that you need to be able to articulate this. And then I, we just find a lot of people say, I'm, I'm just too busy. I, I, I just, my life is just so full of other things. Great. Well, Jeff, I'm going to close out my questions with this one around what you see as being true in churches that have a true and spirited culture for evangelism is there like attributes of those churches that you see that maybe other churches could model well i think that every church that has developed this culture somewhere along the line they have taken the the recognition of training and tools seriously so i our people need the training they need the tools to be able to be effective i mean with without us purposely putting energy and effort into that, probably nothing's going to happen. Having said that, I believe we can change the culture, turn the culture of a church with a a fairly small amount of zealous disciple makers. And I think that's really the key is to to find those people whose God is stirring their heart and then to, to build a little camaraderie between them, build a little bit of connection between them so that each, each of them don't feel like they're alone. I I Mm. feel like we do witness usually by ourselves. I mean, there's usually not a group with us when we get a chance to do that. But the fact is that uh, we're all in this together. We all have the same fears. We all have the same basic life problems that keep us from it. And so being able to build a group, my son's church, uh, we did a seminar there this summer and they've seen 11 people saved since that seminar. Wow. And one of the things that they did was they have their own app. And in their app, they have a uh, exchange section in which the people who took the exchange training and now those who've kind of come in afterwards can communicate to each other. So when they get ready to do a Bible study or ask a friend to coffee, uh, they'll just jot a little note and say, hey, pray for me. And, and it just builds this little sense of community that allows 
this small group, it is a small group, to, to really thrive. Mm-hmm. Um, ultimately, it comes or dies with the pastoral leadership. When the pastors are speaking it and living it, uh, it, it is so much easier to, and that's true with every single cultural issue we have in our church. If we're going to be able to see cultural change, it's going to have to come from pastoral leadership and, and really from the specific preaching of the word of God. You were talking about vocabulary. I actually think that developing a kind of a group vocabulary that we all are going to say certain things, certain ways so that people hear it and, and can kind of get it in their heads. Those, those are all things that help. And, and I see that happening. I have a couple of churches that we've seen be able to develop a culture in which they're just seeing lots of people saved and almost repeatedly. It's the pastor getting other people mobilized to do it. So in other words, sometimes he finds someone that needs the Bible study, but instead of doing it himself, he brings that person alongside and says, Hey, why don't you get together with this mm-hmm. person? And, um, and, and that begins to just let it spread. Yeah. I can attest to your point about getting a small group together to share thoughts about their gospel sharing to pray for each other. We did that after the class in 21 and we had an email chain going around. It was encouraging to hear others talk about their experiences and to say, Hey, I need prayer. I'm about to have another conversation today. So that's great. Good. This one's more applies to me, but you just talked about the kind of impact pastoral leadership can have on stimulating a culture of evangelism. You mentioned a few things. I was wondering if you could maybe expand a little bit, Jeff, on, I mean, what are you seeing? What would you encourage in terms of, I think you just said, having kind of uh, agreed upon or intentional vocabulary. And I, I think what you mean by that is if you adopt the exchange as your method for sharing the gospel, that people in our church ought to become accustomed to hearing at some point in many of my messages or the messages from the other pastors, maybe a, a review of this is how we present the gospel, even how I'm presenting it now from the pulpit. So I was wondering if you could just expand it. Is that what you're saying? And are there other tips? I'm looking for counsel right now <laughs> on how to lead as one of the pastors, the lead pastor of our church, to try to stimulate a culture of evangelism. I really do believe a shared vocabulary in any cultural shift is is always going to be an important thing. So, yes, I think that every message ought to include a gospel appeal of some sort. And uh, we don't want to get that to be old. But I have one pastor who says, when I say from my pulpit, God is holy, immediately the people in our church not only know I'm about to give the gospel, but they recognize this is a moment of worship. So in other words, this is not just uh, the gospel for those people that don't know it, but this is the gospel for me that I can worship a holy God. I can worship a God who is just and loving and gracious to reach to me. So I think that that putting that in regularly, the other concept that is important is that we as pastors not, not just set the example, uh, that's critical, but, but really live the life, that that's the passion that drives us. 
the passion that drives us is what's going to drive our church. It's just always going to be that way. And so we have to ask God to keep that passion stirred in our own hearts. Jeff, I wanted to finish with a question. I think when you show up now, you've been here twice at our church, people are starting to identify you as the exchange guy. You're the guy that gives the gospel regularly, probably give it every time you get an opportunity, and you're here to exhort us, teach us, equip us. So I'm curious, I'm sure maybe some of our listeners are curious, you only have 60 seconds. Maybe you're on an airplane, maybe you're, you've got somebody who came and just fixed your HVAC, and you, you just have a small amount of time, you probably won't see this person again, and you only have, let's say, 60 seconds. Go. Well, a 60-second gospel presentation is almost antithetical to the exchange philosophy. We love this thought, uh, more time with more truth versus brief encounters with a brief gospel. And if we're going to get credible decisions, which I think all of us want, we don't want shallow decisions, then we need to help a person genuinely understand. And I think that teaching from the Bible is is critical. So in every situation like that, I, I would do my best to try to set it up to where that person's going to get more. Um, we've developed an app. And the app is specifically to be able to help a person engage with the gospel. And so I carry a little business card with me with a QR code that helps a person. I, I guarantee you, I'm sitting on the airplane next to a guy. My wallet's going to come out. I'm going to give him a business card. And I'm going to give him this. And I say, look, I'd love for you to take a look at this app. I think you'd really be able to see just a simple truth of who God is, how to have a close relationship with him. And then I always tell them, now, if you're interested, I would love to give you a Bible study that goes with that. They can read and do that Bible study right inside the app. And so uh, I just tell them my email address is on there. If, if you would like it, I would love to be able to give that to you. Just let me know uh, and, and try to keep them engaged with the gospel in that more time and more truth perspective. Having said that. I do believe that we need to be ready to give an answer to all men at all times. And so in terms of how would I give the gospel briefly, I would just take the truths of the exchange and kind of truncate them down to the very essence. You know, God is holy. He, he can't tolerate our sin. The Bible says that we've all sin. We all come short of the glory of God, helping a person just recognize that our sin separates us from God and that God is just. He can't overlook our sins. The Bible says the wages of sin, what we earn because of our sin is death. And there's this death consequence because of our choices. And then move on to the good news, which is God is loving and he's reached out to us. John 3, 16 is probably my favorite verse. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And just helping them to recognize the exchange that God gave for us in that he says this, for our sake, God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And just helping them recognize that Jesus died to take our sinful place, our penalty, and to give us his righteous record. And then obviously you have to help a person see God's gracious. He offers this as a gift. It's not my work that earns it. It's the gift of grace. And we receive that grace through believing in Jesus and repenting, turning to him as our Lord and Savior. That's really helpful. Just a follow-up though. So I want to hear that statement again that you made 
to distinguish between what could be deemed as decisionalism. Um, we're trying to get a, a quick uh, another mark that we had somebody pray the sinner's prayer, and and not to diminish the importance of a sinner repenting and praying for it and receiving salvation. But to me, this is refreshingly different than what we typically here when we're talking about gospel presentations. I mean, to be quite frank, I I think sometimes there's a reticence for getting trained like we're getting trained with the exchange presently at our church, because it almost sounds like I'm learning this sales pitch. It's kind of plastic. Okay, so I'm going to look for my opportunity, I'm going to say my spiel, and then I'm going to try to close the deal. No, no. In fact, we believe, and I, I think all of us, that conversion is an instantaneous miracle. It's literally someone being moved from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of life. It's someone who was dead in trespasses and sin being given life in Jesus Christ. And that miracle comes when a person chooses to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Now, the Holy Spirit does that work in their life, and sometimes that work takes a process. I mean, somebody might be living a life totally free from all kinds of thoughts about God and their inner needs, and um, to go from someone who has totally carefree to, I, I need to repent of my sins and trust Jesus as my Lord and Savior, that's, that's a big shift. And so it may take a while for not just me to be able to convince him, but literally the Holy Spirit to convict him. That's what the work of of the Holy Spirit is. And so we love this thought, more time with more truth. So sometimes we just make this little statement, and I don't think it's enough to help a person really understand the, the truth, but sometimes I think it's just time. Just like that seed has to go into the ground, it's got everything it needs to be able to grow, but it needs time. And when we try to hurry up that time, it's, it doesn't do any favors to the seed. Uh, another follow-up quickly, Jeff. How does that play into two things? A personal invitation. So once you've presented the gospel, you've gone through four weeks of the Bible study. And I know how this ends in terms of the training. But I'd like for our listeners who perhaps haven't taken the class or, or taken the training, how do you in that with an invitation personally for that person to receive Christ and not fall into manipulation, fall into, I, I got to close the deal. And I'm interested as well as a pastor um, to hear your thoughts on publicly inviting people to trust Christ. Maybe there are those on listening who are pushed off and pushed back by more of a Charles Finney approach looking for methods to try to get people to make decisions. But balancing that with a call for people to repent and believe the gospel. So I'm interested individually how you invite people after the Bible study, and then also publicly how you'd encourage pastors, preachers, evangelists to publicly call people to repentance. Because in those moments, you only have, depending on how long you preach, um, you only have 45 minutes that you've been with that person, but many times you sense the need of, I need to invite people to respond to this. Yeah. Those, those are great questions. I think that we tend to be reactionists, 
And um, maybe it'd be wise for us in history to step back just a little bit. Uh, as the uh, father of modern missions went out to India for the first time, Andrew Fuller had to stay home and, and do some real hard theological work at helping people recognize that, that, yes, it's a work of God. God is the sovereign who draws people to himself, but God uses humans to give the truth, and then he he would literally say that an invitation is a means of grace. It's when when we give a human invitation, that is one of God's ways of calling people to Himself. When God shows us the picture of what is actually going to happen, there's there's going to be a marriage feast someday, and in that culmination of time in Revelation 19, he says, blessed are those who've been invited to the marriage feast. And and really, that's all we're doing when we give an invitation. We're just saying to someone, wouldn't you like to become a follower of Jesus and, and, and to give your life to following him? So I think that my own personal conviction is that I'm not really done giving the gospel until I've told a person what they need to do with it. And which is to make that decision. So I've I've made a personal decision in my own life that I'm I'm never going to quit in talking to a person about Jesus without asking them, wouldn't you like to put your trust in Jesus right now? And the reason I I say that is because if a person has given me the opportunity to go through the gospel with them in a conversation, the Holy Spirit's doing something. I mean that nobody seeks after God, and if and if we've had a conversation that goes that far, it I really do believe it's the work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, we are in churches every week, and uh, we have the need to wrap up a message. And because as an evangelist, and I don't really see myself that way, but the the role I'm feeling, I only have one week to impact people. So I I really do feel the need to call people to decisions, and so uh, I am learning. That if I can give people thoughtful, realistic decisions that they can make. So if I'm going to appeal to a person in the congregation who's been stirred and recognizes I have a need for Jesus, uh, I think a real realistic choice for him to make is I'm going to find somebody here that can talk to me about this. And I have a lot of people that I talk to after the service. I've just recognized the need and I'll talk to them afterwards. I I never, this is just my choice. I never try to lead them to Christ that moment. I try to put them together with somebody in that congregation that could do that four lesson Bible study with them because it actually does two things for me. One is it brings that person to a full understanding, but number two, it gives that person who I'm pairing them with an opportunity to be able to go through the gospel. So I I feel like we don't have to throw out the baby with the bathwater. There may be some decisionalism that we want to get rid of, but helping people to genuinely deal with their need for Christ is, is not decisionalism. That's just biblical preaching that we need to be able to help people make decisions. That was great, Jeff. I think Brian could have went on and asked for a fourth, fifth, or sixth, or even seventh follow-up, but we did run out of time. So uh, just really appreciate you being here live. You're our first guest that we've had live in the studio. Thank you very much. It's awful nice to be able to look at your eyes while I'm talking. (laughs) Exactly. My name is Ryan. And my name is Brian. And I'm Jeff. Join us next time for more scripture and plain reason. 
God's Word is true and God's Word is clear. 